0: The reading is from Luke 15, and you can find it on page 1049 in the church Bibles. This is the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son,
1: Good to see you all, and a uh, familiar story, isn't it? It's, it's one that you could tell probably in, in every detail. Uh, you know the story only too well. I just want to put one thing straight before we start. Some people call this story the prodigal son. Um, well, not recently. Commentators have moved away from that idea because one, prodigal emphasizes uh, the state of the son at the beginning of the story. It's what he did at the beginning. It doesn't tend to focus on what he ended up like. So that's one reason that that title's been rejected. The second one is that the question that this story raises is which son was truly lost? Which one was it? And, and yeah, you, you're almost sort of saying well, it was the second one, yeah, but hang on, that comes at the end in about 55 minutes time, all right? So hang in there. Um, and, the, and the third reason is this, that the whole chapter is about lost. If you look at it, uh, there's a whole thing about there's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, there's a lost son. So clearly, Jesus is wanting to talk about the concept or the idea of being lost. And, and it implies that he believes, it's not what I think that matters, it's what he believes, is that there is lost people in the world. And, and sometimes in, in some facets of Christianity, that idea is gone. And, and we need to be clear that there are people that are lost, and there are those people who are not lost, who have been saved. Whatever language you use, and there's lots of different forms of language to illustrate that idea. But the, 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 contra, the context for the story is clearly lostness and what it means. And, and there are people, therefore, who are not, as it were, part of the kingdom, and who need to be drawn into that kingdom, and that's why Jesus is talking about them. And one conversation says it really ought to be called the story of the forgiving father, because that's the heart of it. The heart of it is the action of God, really. Uh, And these various illustrations from from sons help us. Now, we can see, go back to verse 1 of the chapter, we see that there were those who were considered by respectable society as completely outcasts. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear They wanted to hear this news. They wanted to hear the gospel, and and they're there. But the the Pharisees said, he eats with sinners. How disgraceful. When did they last look in the mirror and realize that they're sinners too? And therefore, we need to be clear that this concept of, of a sinner and what that means is one that we, we can't lose. We can't bury it. We used to say, didn't we, if someone did something naughty? Oh, he's a right sinner. He is. Oh, that's a Devon accent came out there. Sorry, um, he's a right sinner. E. B. You know, that, that's somebody did something naughty, like steal something or or empty the fridge of donuts, as my sons were very good at doing. Um, you know, oh, he's a right sinner. You know, that's not what it means at all. A sinner is someone who is not able by his own or her own efforts to achieve something which says I'm equal with God. I fall short, and I cannot make that journey. I cannot do enough to help me say that I am now completely clean and holy. So I'm a sinner. We all are. There's no difference. We need to be clear about that. Now, uh, also in these three stories, it's quite interesting um, that there's always something missing at first. There's, there's a, a shepherd who has one sheep. Now, I've never counted sheep. I find them very difficult because they keep moving. Uh, but clearly shepherds know how to do this. One, two, three, four, nine, uh, 97, 98, uh, uh, 99. Oh, dear, where's he gone? And he knows that there's one missing. The shepherd instinctively knows that his flock is not complete. So he goes looking. Which of you, if you ever lost your wallet, would say, oh, I've lost my wallet, so be it? You'd be onto it, wouldn't you, straight away? You'd be phoning up your credit card company saying, please cancel all my cards. You'd be onto it straight away. This woman loses the coin, and she can't, where's it gone? Is it under there? You ever lost something at home and you can't find it? Or am I the only person in this place that's ever experienced that? I'm, I'm good at losing car keys. Uh, you know they, they well, I, did I put oh, no, no no where are they? Until I find them, I can't rest. But the, the absolute pinnacle of this is the Father looking out for his son and we'll unpack that in detail in a minute. There's something else that's common to these three stories, and that's rejoicing. 15:7 we, we hear about rejoicing in heaven. Yes, I found. that's not because he's found a sheep. The sheep is illustrative. So he's found the person that he's looking for. And that's what the writer is trying to illustrate here and what Jesus is saying. Uh, and Also, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels in 1510. So there's rejoicing because it's been found. And so we need to understand that that is, that is what's going on here. Now, what about the characters in this story? Well, clearly the Father is God. Uh, some people have argued about that. Some commentators like to take it apart, but uh, most people... Who've got respectable theology uh, believe that that father is God, no question about it. Secondly, the prodigal is the sinner who repents. And thirdly, the other son. Now, what's he doing there? Well, if you look at the whole chapter, it's top and tailed by Pharisees. Because that eldest son, the one who stands outside and we'll come to him in detail in a minute, is very much a word. Pharisees, are you listening to this? This is you understand it. And so the the characterization is is clear. And it's a response to those mutterings in chapter 15, verse 2, that this whole lost concept is unpacked by Jesus. And so we come to the the detail of the story. First of all, the younger son. Now, he asks for his portion of his father's estate. In the original Greek, that was something which was called a portion of of his father's being. He's actually wanting something that the father has put together, has worked hard for, to build up something for his family. And this guy is saying, I want my bit. Now, as a younger son, he's entitled to one third. Go back to Deuteronomy, and you'll see that the eldest son always had the double portion. Hence, if you have double what the other guy's got, then this guy's got one third. I hope that math isn't too complicated for you, but, but that's what it is. So he was entitled to one third. I can imagine that the father had to sort of go out and sell things and, and, and cash things in, and you know, this son, and he's so gracious to give it to him. Interestingly, Judaism, in its sacred writings, not in, in the Bible, has this to say about this. To son or wife or brother or friend, give no power over yourself while you live, and give not your goods to another, so as to have to ask for them back again. So even the advice of of the Jewish writings was don't do it. Don't part with your goods, or your, your money. Don't distribute your estate too soon. It was to risk something terrible might happen. You might never see it again. Now this son shows absolutely no concern for his father and his family. He doesn't choose to stay around, as would be expected in first-century Jewishness. He will be expected to be part, and in the family work that was going on, he would expect to be living there. He simply cashes in his inheritance, and off he goes. That would have been considered at that time, uh, and I guess now, too, to be ungrateful and selfish. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he is portraying somebody who is pretty bad. And and there's more to come. Locals would have gossiped. They would have said, how disgusting, how disgraceful. What does he think he's doing? And some would have just simply said, he deserves everything he might get. So this was not good. That would have been some mitigation, wouldn't it, if he'd have gone off and said, well, let's set up a new business. Let's try and invest the money. Let's try doing something decent. I've got my inheritance. Here it is. Why don't I do something sensible with it? But even further, it tells us about his behavior. It's not just the fact that he's grabbed the money. It's what he does with it. And and Jesus is therefore painting a picture that says, this man is compounding sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. He is, of all people, a sinner. And, and this chap goes off. His behavior would have been considered disloyal, outrageous, and absolutely disgraceful. He is the lowest of the low. He's painting a picture then, Jesus, of someone being so farther away, far away from his father's home, his father's values, his father's love. He's chucked a lot. Because you think, hey, I can have a good time. Does that ring any bells in the society in which we live? I want to seek pleasure. I deserve it. Look at the state of the world. Look what we're going through here in this nation at the moment. I want a good laugh. I saw somebody say that last night on the telly. I want a good laugh. Yeah, come on, let's get out of here. This country's rubbish. I deserve it. And notice, too, that the father, as far as we can read in this story, does not try to persuade him to stay. There's nowhere in that narrative where the father says, son, don't go, don't go, stay here, you can, you can have things, I'll, I'll help you with this, I'll help you with that. Nowhere. And I think what Jesus is saying there is if someone decides that they have a desire and they want to do this and they want to do something which is contrary to God's will, then then God will say, okay, you take the consequences. Now, does that mean he doesn't love him? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that God sometimes, I think, allows people to go and tread the pathway that they want to tread. Now, that doesn't mean to say he stopped loving them and he doesn't want them back, but he, he lets them go. Does he stop praying for them? I'm sure not but he allows the son to go. And then, changing circumstances. Something happens. That's the message of the famine. The famine comes. Now, we have up to now a lovely picture of God's grace, don't we? He allows him to go. He gives him something which should have been given to him when he died. He shouldn't have had it during his lifetime. He should have passed it on when he died, and he gets it, he gets it early and goes and squanders it. But something happens to bring this man, the son, up short. He gets to a place where sin, the consequences of sin, catch up with him. And he sat there and he thinks, What am I doing here? What am I doing? I'm watching pigs eat food and I want to eat it. Pigs, unclean animals to a Jew. Unthinkable. So you see, Jesus is painting the picture that this guy is just about as far in degradation as you can get. He really has blown it completely. Sin has consequences. Like someone who chooses to commit adultery. Uh, They can get caught out first time round. Or they can get away with it for years. Still doesn't change the fact that it's wrong. And so at this point, this man comes to a place where, as it were, sin catches up with him. And he realizes that there's something going on. No money? Pig food to look at? What shall I do? And he comes to his senses, the Bible says. He comes to his senses. Now... I reckon if I had a microphone, well, I've got a microphone, but I'm not going to do it because it would embarrass you all. But I'd love to come round and talk to some of you, and you could tell me stories of when you came to your senses. Where you said, living for myself, and living on pleasure, and living for things that I want to taste, and I want to do, and I want to go there, and I want to do that. Now, that happened to me at college. It just was a moment. It wasn't a moment, it was a, it was a period of time for me where I, I came to my senses and I thought there is something bigger here than just the wonderful, bright, intelligent, gorgeous person that I am. And if you believe that load of rubbish, you believe anything. But you just think that there's, there's got to be something more here somewhere. Now wouldn't it be marvellous if we had come to our senses writing and you all had one of our little bits of paper and pen and you all wrote it down when that happened to you? And do you thank God for it? Do you thank God that somehow God spoke to you enough and clearly enough? You see, it came through hardship. Sometimes we come to, f- to, to know God because God, as it were, puts an arm around us of love and we experience that love. But sometimes, 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 it's because we get hit by something pretty horrible. Suffering. Suffering. Was it C.S. Lewis who defined suffering as God's megaphone? Where God actually said, Oi, I want you to think. And the answer, the way we respond to that is not to say, God, what the dickens do you think you're playing at? The way we respond to that is, God, what are you saying to me? What is it you are trying to get me to do? What am I missing here, God? And that's when this guy in the degradation of watching pigs eat food, suddenly thought, what am I doing? Now this isn't just about people who don't know Christ in the first place. It's also about Christians who wander away. This guy at one point was in the Father's house. And he went over there because he wanted a bit of a life, he thought. And there could be people here this morning who maybe their faith has grown cold. Maybe they're up to things that they ought not to be up to, and they've, they've gone off and, and tried to shut God out over here. Well, I believe God may be well saying to you this morning, come home. Wakey, wakey. Come to your senses. Realize that trying to live life your own way and with your own standards and your own values is dead-end street. It's crazy. And this is the wake up call. And, and so he rehearses his speech, doesn't he, the son? He, I, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, uh, Dad, I've, I've really been a bad boy. I've done lots of naughty things. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and I guess all the way home he was going over that, like one of those repeating tapes, you know, that you, you hear in shops where you hear the same tune about every five minutes, you know. And he, he was going over it. And I, I, I'm sorry, Dad. I, did th- I shouldn't have done it and, oh, and all this. What does he meet? He meets a longing father. And I love this bit. I think it's one of the most powerful bits in the Bible, actually. He comes to his senses, and he he thinks about it. But while he was a long way off, the Bible tells us, his father sees him. Now, normally a father receiving a son, as I shall be actually receiving my sons this afternoon, because they're coming for tea, I will sit on my sofa... And I will expect them to walk in the door, bow, offer me presents, and say, Father, you're wonderful. And uh, you know all that kind of stuff, I shall expect that. Now, in the first century, that will be true. If my sons ever did that, I wonder what was wrong with them. I think they'd gone completely crazy. Um, but that was the kind of tradition. You, know, you came and said, Father, dear Father, you know, um, and that sort of thing would go on. But Dad is not sat on his sofa. He's been peeping out through the curtain, hasn't he? No, not today. Let's have another look tomorrow. Tomorrow? Not today. No, he's not coming home today. And then, the great moment in the story. Don't underplay the drama of this. Sorry if I overcook this, but I'm excited. Forgive me for a moment. But he, he kind of just gets the curtain up and he says, it, it, no, it, is it? It's him. And, and the father is so excited that um, if he'd have run as he stood, he'd have tripped and fell flat on his face. So he'd hitch up his robe. I can't do it because I've got a robe on. But he'd hitch it up and he'd run like crazy down the path. It's my son. Now, you see, I, I think we, we Brits, there I say this to you, um, we Brits are slightly too reserved about some of this stuff, you know. Oh, well, it's awfully nice, you've come to faith, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, my Bible tells me uh, that this father breaks convention by running. Fathers did not run. And, and he gets there, and he's so pleased. He's so pleased is a massive understatement. He is delighted. And the son makes a short confession. He gets the first bit out. He's not worthy. And he's dead right. He's not. He realizes it. But he's restored because his father is gracious and loving. And dad slings his arms around his neck. No, I'm not suggesting you do this before you go home. If you feel led, that's absolutely fine by me. Um, But a bit of arms slinging around the neck and a bit of hugging may not be a bad thing. To say, it's good you're here. Thank you for being part of the fellowship that I'm part of. And if I see it going on at the end, I should be rejoicing, okay? So let's let's get a bit of that going, shall we? Let's get a bit of rejoicing going. The People here are precious. And they're here, and they're here in God's house. Now, we sometimes talk, don't we? And I just want to pop this bit in, because it's come to me really as I've studied this. We, we talk about coming to faith sometimes as, as what happens when we become a Christian. Now, I have no problem with that in one sense, but coming to faith is true for every religion on the planet. You come to faith in that religion. What happens here is that relationship is restored. This son knows his father. He's in his father's presence. He's back home. So when we become a Christian, we become those who have a relationship with the God who made the universe. And if that doesn't make you jump for joy, then I feel sorry for you. You have a relationship. And it's with the living Father called God and his Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have a Trinitarian relationship with the God of heaven and earth. And if you want to say a quiet yippee in your heart, feel free. All right? That's it. And so we have party time. Uh, this party is huge. It's a symbol of full restoration. It's robe, family rings, sandals, fattened calf. It's the business. It's not a takeaway pizza job. This is a banquet. This is serious stuff. And we're going to have a massive celebration. And if only we could realize and draw back from that and realize that when anyone comes to faith in Christ, there is massive rejoicing in heaven. Massive. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and forgive me if this is a bit too popular, but I'll go with it. God went, yes, yes. How fantastic that that person has finally realized I've been speaking to them, I've been talking to them. Maybe someone here this morning who's who's not there at the moment. Well, let me tell you, if you come to Christ this morning in repentance and faith, God will jump for joy over one sinner that repents, the Bible tells us. And that's what happened here. And um, the level of rejoicing would make us aware of, perhaps, of those who haven't yet had a God party. Or maybe, and this is raw nerve time, isn't it? There's people in your life, in your family, who you suspect are either wandering away from a faith they once knew, or they've never really trusted Christ at all as Saviour and Lord. This parable gives you hope. I have a brother. In that situation, I long for him to know what it truly means to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. I really do. No signs yet. No signs. And yet, God's joy at the sight of a repentant sinner is boundless. And you may think that the the language of rejoicing and jumping for joy is is old-fashioned, but boy, is it biblical. Isn't it just biblical? Biblical. Rejoicing over the sinner that repents. But there's a sting in the tail of this one, isn't there? The lost son, the other one, the one who stayed at home. You can almost hear him, can't you? I could do a Yorkshire accent here, but that might offend somebody. But I've done a day's work, I've never stopped. I've been here all the time. I've never let my dad down. I've always been there for him. I'm as solid as a rock, me. And he was right. Until he said, I deserve that. You see, what he says is, I've labored hard. He's very angry about it. I've done the jobs that my father wanted me to do. I've been faithful to him. And and I've earned it. I've never had a party. I've never had a party. I deserve a party. My friends, we deserve nothing that God gives us. It's all of grace. Grace. And the first son knows that, receives that, and receives the love of his father. The facts were true, yes. He'd been a good boy. He'd done a lot of good things. But the father tries to help him. He goes out of the party. He goes to get him as well. He goes to meet him. He goes to meet both sons, you see. He went running down the path to get the first one. The other one's outside the party. He goes to get him as well. He says, son, look, think about it. You've got all the blessings of Christchurch Winchester and all your friends in Christchurch Winchester and you're still moaning about it. Did I update that inadvertently? Not on your life. I have so many blessings. I have so many things to be thankful for and this son didn't get it. He thought he deserved it. And it's very easy for us. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Pharisees, are you listening? Are you getting this, Pharisees? You legalists, you people that think just because you're part of a nation, you're going to get to heaven that way. No, it's changed, I'm afraid. It's repentance and faith time now. Not just because who you can stand there and say who you are. Things have shifted. And uh, they don't get it, do they? The Pharisees, because what the story tells us is that that second son, that eldest son, represents people who are legalistic, who are judgmental, and who want to stand slightly aloof and poke criticism at anything that goes on. The father tries so hard, doesn't he? Say, so come and enjoy. So whether you've recently become a Christian. It's a bit like that parable Jesus told, isn't it, of the, the guys who went to work uh, for the day. Some went for the day, and some just went for the last hour, and at the end of it, they all get paid the same amount of money. And, and the guys who've been slaving away all day say, oh, that's not fair. Jesus is saying, whether you've come recently, or whether you've been part of the Father's house for all these years, I want you to be blessed, because you're part of it. Some of you people here have been in this church for many, many years. And we thank you for your faithful service and ministry. Some of you here are fairly recent to Christchurch. Whoever and whatever you are, God says you're welcome. And I love you. And I have something for you to do. So that everyone sits at the table. Everyone joins the party. Everyone is part of the celebration. So don't be like the Pharisees. Join in. Join in, dare I say, with what is going to be our church for the future. Our wardens and the committee are meeting this afternoon to think and pray through the applications and to shortlist. It's on your notices. Do pray for them as they meet. And let's be part of the new party that's going to be Christchurch. Let's be part of something that's going to cause much rejoicing as we see people who are lost become found. As we see young people and children blessed. As we see students coming here. As we see all the things that are happening. And so, can I suggest that as a result of this story, you perhaps put a name in your memory, or on a bit of paper, or in your Bible, or on your fridge, or whatever you do with names. And just pray that that person will move from eating pig food or watching pigs eat food and the degradation of that to life in all its fullness at the table of the Father, rejoicing at being in his presence. So let's pray that that will be very much part of what we're doing here as we see God at work in the lives of men and women, and boys and girls. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father, give us a vision of that wonderful sight of a father with his robe hitched up, running down to meet a son that's been away for so long and the fact that one day God did that for us because we were those that were far away and we came to our senses because of his prompting and we came home Lord, please give us that picture and help it to shape the way we live and the way we move and the way we move in our networks with those who don't believe, that we would just love for them to have a God party. We would love for them to be sat at the table, rejoicing in relationship with the God who made them. Please help us to understand how important and significant this is And if there are folks here this morning who have wandered away and have gone off into the far country, I ask, Lord, that you will touch their hearts and help them to see that they must come home. They must come to the Father. And he will greet them with open arms and with intense love and say, welcome home it, we pray, for the sake of the kingdom of God and for no other reason. Amen.